Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So today's interview is with a guy that I met in 1987. I haven't seen him since. We've stayed a little bit in touch, and he's a magician, actually. It makes a lot of sense for those of you who know me uh, from my background and so on. And I, I think he's, a, he's an incredibly funny guy. He's, he's currently working the Magic Castle in Hollywood. He lives in Hollywood, and he's a writer. He's a historian. Uh, can I call him a character? He's a bit of a character. I think you're going to enjoy the interview a lot. And what we talk about is ghosts. Yes, we are talking about the metaphysical in this interview. Um, and and uh, Tom calls himself, uh, well, he's kind of an investigative journalist, I, I suppose. And he's written 11 books on ghosts. His most recent book, uh, or one of his more recent books, called ha uh, um, Haunted Hollywood. Oh, Tom, I'm sorry. Uh, but it, it's online. We'll, we'll leave a link there for you. Haunted Hollywood, I believe that came out in 2009 is going to be coming out uh, he's going to be coming out with a new uh, updated version of it with some uh, more stories and probably uh, uh, a new introduction I, I certainly hope he is anyway but you know in this interview we talked about ufology we talked about scrying I mean I don't even know what the heck that is but it's something about using mirrors and and fortune telling he he, he, he talks about about um, how most of us or many of us have ghost stories and and he talks about a mirror in Hollywood uh, I think sweet 1200 and then we'll wait to hear more about it in the in the interview where Mer a reflection of Marilyn Monroe could be seen and uh, one of the most interesting things I think I took from this is that he said he's learned to say to people tell me about it and in other words he's learned to sit and listen you're gonna have some fun with it you're gonna have a few laughs and find out some really interesting things here uh, uh, Tom Ogden uh, buckle up well, welcome to Face to Face, folks, and we've got another, uh, this could be one of the most interesting interviews, actually, I've done in a while. It's with a guy that I know, uh, Tom Ogden, who I met many years ago, face to face, ironically, and here we are today on the phone. Tom, thanks for joining us. 
It's a pleasure to be here, David. Tom has been voted the Parlor Magician of the Year. My listeners will now know how we're connected. He's a funny guy, but 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 uh, and a very talented magician, very talented performer. In fact, he's working the Magic Castle in Hollywood uh, tonight, this week. He's worked uh, for a crazy amount of of, of celebrities, uh, Ronald Reagan included. Is would you call Ronald Reagan a celebrity, Tom? I think he. He falls falls into that category, right? Well, actually, yes, since he was an actor for years before he was a president. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to talk about that, about his acting skills versus his presidential ability, but uh, maybe that's another podcast. But but more importantly, Tom, I think, and I, I, well, I say more importantly, we'll see what he has to say. He's also a writer. He's got 11 books that he's written about ghosts, which just I find incredibly fascinating, and I just found out moments ago he's got a couple of magic books. He's written a, a book about the circus, and, and, and he's got a new book coming out, uh, well, a new edition of a book called Haunted Hollywood in August, and I think we're we're going to talk about ghosts today, aren't we, Tom? Sure, boo. <laughs> That's it's right. Be an early Halloween so, uh, episode. There's so many connections here, Tom. I mean, so you're a magician, you know, circus. You're kind of a historian. What? Why and ghosts? The magic really is the connection, David. Okay. Um, I had, I had, haven't, have had an enviable career as a writer in that the first book that I had went through three editors just because of upheavals in the publishing house. But of course, just like many industries are insular, so is the publishing world. So the editors moved on to other publishing houses. Mm. So I'd get a call from them at their next house saying, hey, I'm over here now at Prentice Hall. What do you have for us? Or I'm over here at Penguin. What do you have for us? So the, I, although you still had to do the book proposal, so that they could take it to the editorial board for approval. Basically, all of my books were pre-sold before I... Mm. I never had to do what they called a query letter, which is oh. an initial letter which I do all saying, the time. I have this idea, would you be interested in seeing a proposal? And then you get the rejections from that. Right, right. I was already at the point of, can you have the proposal to us by Friday? And, what, and you say magic was the connection, is that... Because and magic of your was the connection because um, I have Max Maven, who is a great mentalist, uh, mind reader, uh, and and dabbles in magic. So he's you know so he's uh, has that comes from that background world too. Uh, and I have been friends forever, and we have a mutual friend named Michael Curland who has written close to 50 books. Most of them were uh, what they used to call dime novels, okay. sci-fi books, sure. yep. uh, direct-to-paperback books to take with you on a summer vacation or whatever. And Michael had, for a time, was living here in Los Angeles, and we used to hang out a lot. And he got the contract for a one-volume encyclopedia called, well, the Encyclopedia of Magic and Magicians. Mm-hmm. Michael was not a magician, but he has a lot of magician friends, including right, Max and me. Right. And a now deceased, also I guess you'd call him a mentalist as well as a magician, named T.A. Waters. And Michael had another book due at the same time as the Magic Encyclopedia, and he couldn't get them both finished on time, so he gave the book contract to Waters, who'd already had two books published by that. And this is the beginning of 11, book, is, about 11 books about ghosts, two magic well, books. Well, because yeah. 
because... I'm wondering if there's some sort of ghostly backdoor connection here. (laughs) The connection is magic. I I went to him and said, I know nothing about... uh, uh, why Why didn't you give me the book? And he said, well, I didn't know you wanted to write the book. I said, the only other thing I've ever done is I traveled five years with circuses. My early touring with circuses. You think they'd want an encyclopedia of that? Well, he called his editor, and they did, and I got the contract. Hmm. Well, that editor then moved on to the Idiot's Guide series. Which I have sitting on my desk here, by the way. Tom has right. also written the complete Idiot's Guide to Magic Tricks. And, and when that book was in proof sheets, my editor said, besides our instructional how-to books, we're starting a line of... Uh, general interest topics, and we want to do one on ghosts. You're a magician. You must know all about ghosts. Would you write a book called The Completed Idiot's Guide to Ghosts and Hauntings? And I said, does it pay in advance against royalties? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, I know everything there is to know about So you're, you're passionate about ghosts, or is it I uh, you're passionate about ghosts. So you were, I did this, was a pay, this it was a paying gig for you? It started as a paying gig. Wow. It started and as a paying gig. Well, 11 books later, it's got to be more than just cash. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell but me about because that. What because it, what it started as was a giant term paper, basically. Mm, I knew how magicians could produce the illusion of ghosts on stage and have for hundreds of years. I knew how magicians did what they used to call ghost shows or spook shows back sure. in the 1950s. Yep. yep. Uh, that after showing a horror movie, they'd do a little 15-minute magic show with horror themes. Then they'd turn out the lights, and ghosts would fly out over people's heads. I knew how they did that. But I knew nothing about not only all the anecdotes. I mean, we've all heard ghost stories. Sure. But I yep. mean that there are ghost societies, not just clubs, but ghost societies to get together and talk about the theory and philosophy of ghosts, <laughs> what they are, Sorry for what laughing. their essence is, why they come back, hmm. why they don't come back. They, they're trying to find the paranormalists went through a long period, and I don't know whether they've given up, I just haven't heard a lot about it recently, of trying to find the equivalent of the unified theory mm. or field in physics, they were ghosts. trying to do the same thing in ghosts. Why do some people see an apparition, yet another person will only sense that there's just something weird in the room? Right. Or only feel the hair go up on the back of their neck. So, or other people will hear something, but other people don't hear anything. They see something. Why is it different? So, Tom, you've spent your life fooling people. I mean, aren't you, aren't you a skeptic? How do you, how do you get pulled into what appears to be, I don't know. Uh, I mean, isn't this what, yeah, like, isn't this what Houdini spent a good portion of his life doing, was debunking? There's a difference between skepticism and investigation. Hmm. I believe in science, you start with a theory, and then you go out to test it and you do a control, and you do variations. Sure. And find out what happens. Basically, that's where alchemy came from. Let's see what happens if we stick this with this. Oh, it doesn't purify our soul, but it does change lead to gold. That's interesting. Yeah, and and Um, also a nice magical connection there as well with alchemy. 
So the same thing should happen in ghosts, and although I hate to make the comparison, ufology, you know, ufology, that you should say, okay, I believe people are seeing something. Right. Let's find out what they are. So let's find out what they're not. Let's take out the things that we can explain and see if we can look a little closer and see what we may have missed. And then we get peel all those away, and then we're still left with these unexplainable stories. So are you a, are you a journal? Skeptics, just like a, skeptics on the other hand. Yep, yep. But I believe, start with the premise, there are no such things as ghosts. Right. And therefore, I'm going to prove that to you. Well, you, so you're, 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 you're a historian, magician, and a journalist. I, I, as a matter of fact, that's what I call myself, a paranormal journalist. Oh, okay. Because I'm not a ghost hunter, uh, per se. In other words, I don't go in to an allegedly haunted place with an electromagnometer and a thermometer and a tape recorder and infrared light. And when I hear a bump, say, oh, that must have been the ghost on the stair. Because I have an episode that's got to go on TV that week. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> in other words, I, I, I instead will listen to people's stories. And the ones I believe most are from the people who have nothing to gain mm. and everything to lose by mm. telling me their stories. And can you tell us one of those? I mean, what, that's a really interesting phrase, nothing to lose and, uh, was it, sorry, all right. Did you say uh, everything, everything to, to lose and nothing to everything gain? Everything to lose, nothing to yeah, gain and everything to lose by telling me this story. And a, a short example of that type of person might be a judge or a lawyer. Uh-huh. Because you don't want an insane judge, a kooky judge, you know, or a kooky lawyer. But I'll give you a very good example, and I won't give you the person's name. Uh, Can you tell us what it rhymes with? Not only for confidential purposes, but also, to be honest, I don't remember her name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So you're you're not a man of ethics, is what you're saying, Tom? Oh, that's what I say. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. So hang on, let me get this straight. You wrote the book because it was cash, and now you just <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. Now we're getting to the bottom of this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah we're yeah, getting yeah. somewhere now. Uh, by the way, how much is this interview paying? That's right. Oops, click. Right. Yes, uh, my assistant will get back to you. Yeah. I'm sure she will. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I was I was performing on a cruise ship mm -hmm. in. Uh, it was my, my first time in Buenos Aires. And for any of your listeners who have traveled, especially to Latin American ports, uh, that have not prearranged transportation, they know when they come out of immigration, it's not just there are lots of options, it's almost chaotic. Right. Of, of the registered and the non-registered sure. cab drivers, bus drivers, it's just overwhelming. Sure, sure, yeah, totally. Of people offering to take you to your place. And this was my first time, and I walked out, and the, this was the first time that the cruise line was not having one of their port agents meet me. They were saying, uh, just catch a cab to the dock. Right. All right. Uh Oh, so you were wor you were working a cruise ship? You weren't. I there was performing on a cruise. Oh, I see. Okay, you weren't there well, on a yeah, holiday. Yeah, magician. Okay. I was yeah, performing yeah, on a cruise ship. Yeah. So, I get out there. Is this sea of people trying to get my attention? And a woman who had been behind me in the um, uh, lane going through customs 
uh, looked over at me sympathetically and said, first time? And I said, uh-huh. She said, where are you heading? And I told she was American. Mm-hmm. And I, I told her, she says, uh, that is on my way. Would you like a lift? Hmm. And I said, sure. Well, we go out to her limo. And not stretch limo, just a black car waiting for her. Turns out she, her husband, was attached to the U.S. Embassy. Okay. Which is why I can't say who it was, even right. if I know, knew. Right. And we start talking, and she says, oh, you're a magician. I said, yes, and I'm writing this book about ghosts. She says, I have a ghost. Sorry, she I said what? I have, a, I have a ghost? I have a ghost. I have a ghost, okay. And I had learned, even by that point, if people t- start telling me their stories, I don't ask questions. Mm. I don't say, but because they'll be leading questions. If I say, did you hear anything? Did you this? Did you do this? Did it look like this? Sure, yeah. Instead, I've learned to just say, tell me about it. Oh, uh, that's great. Oh, I love it. That's great. Now, after they've told me their whole story, then I can ask them to clarify things. Sure, yeah. But at the beginning, I want to hear it from their memory, what they their experience was. And she said... When my grandmother died, this is her speaking, when my grandmother died, we inherited the full-length mirror that always hung in her foyer, in her hall, hallway. And we hung it in our house at exactly the same place. Mm-hmm. And every, time, every so often when I'm walking down the hall, out of the corner of my eye, I could swear I see my grandmother's reflection in the mirror. And as soon as I turn full to the mirror, there's nothing there other than my own reflection. And I, to reassure her, instead of saying, well, you're crazy, of course. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, this is not an unusual story. And throughout history, uh, dating back to ancient myths, reflective surfaces have been used in fortune-telling called scrying. That's the particular type of fortune telling. What's it called? Scrying. S-C-R-Y-I-N-G, scrying. Okay, okay. using uh, yours. Which, which originally was looking into a pool of water, which is the part of the myth in the Harry Potter book. Right, of course, yeah. You look, that reflective surface. Yeah. People would look in a lake or rushing water, uh, and, and the form we know it in today is the uh, crystal ball. Right. Or any kind, and of course the famous mirror, mirror on the wall. Or as in my case, the magic eight ball. Yes. <laughs> exactly, if you're a... It's provided a... If your a, spirit has to be a, a, an octagonal... That's right. It, hey, hey, listen, it's provided some profound direction for me and my family for many, many I'm years sure now, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> At those moments of indecision. That's right. <laughs> uh... So, so Tom, you 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 say to people. Oh, so just tell, a second. So yeah, yeah. Go. Tell you what 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 happened with that? I told her that it's not that unusual. Right. I told her about the haunted mirror that for years hung in the lobby of the Hotel Roosevelt here in Hollywood, California, where I am. It's now been put in storage. Hmm. Actually, there's a rumor it's been sold to Lindsay Lohan. But oh, um, is that right? Hey, okay. Marilyn Monroe reflection would appear in the mirror but it's a, that's a whole separate ghost story i won't unless you want to hear more about it i won't tell the story but her ghost reflection appeared in it that while people were looking in the mirror 
Marilyn's reflection would appear behind, as if she were standing behind them, and she's primping her makeup. And then the reflection was first seen, I'm telling you the story anyway, was first <laughs> seen by a cleaning person, a maid, I guess, uh, and it was in a, the suite that Marilyn, when she stayed at the Roosevelt, she always stayed in suite 1200, and it was there. And the manager, and of course, instantly all the staff knew about this. Yeah. So the manager took it and put it in his own office, and eventually he had a, the word got out into the spook world, and uh, having a sense of humor, he put it on display by the downstairs elevators. And why I say a sense of humor is on the adjacent wall, they posted a full-length poster of Marilyn Monroe. Mm. And if you stood just right, you could take a picture of yourself with your reflection in the mirror and Marilyn behind you. Oh, come on. You know, because they knew the history of people yeah. who come in just as yeah. Of course, yeah. And they moved it wisely then up by the gift shop so that you were right next to the gift shop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it, the, the, the hotel was bought by a new uh, upscale uh, company that really, uh, they don't throw you out, but they don't really invite tourists in unless you're actually staying there at the hotel. So do people, uh, so people who have these stories, Tom, you said something yeah. about really insightful to me, I think, that where, where you, don't, you don't project, you don't put any of your perspective on for a time. You say, just tell, tell me your story, and you listen, mm -hmm. and you sit and you listen, and I'm, sur I'm sure you've got stories about where that's five minutes long and, and hours long. So is that pretty common that most folks who have experienced something supernatural like this really do want to get it off their chest? I've had, I, I will say yes, whether they actually ever do it. Mm. Mm. I, would, I would be surprised if more than 25% of the people actually do it. Actually tell, I remember tell their story. Doing a, I remember doing a lecture on a, a cruise ship, and this is, this is how... It started to change me for what you call the mercenary magician. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. To the heartless. Someone who was taking this very seriously. Because uh -huh. I was doing a talk on what are ghosts and what aren't they? And why would they come back? And I gave the top six reasons why a ghost has either not moved on to the next world or has returned. And of course, you ask the people do you have any stories or any comments? And you get a few, and then there's always a gaggle of people who come up and want to talk to you privately. Of course, uh, yeah. Be, be, and it's not that they're afraid that the other one, everyone else will think they're stupid. Right, right. Or crazy, or whatever. And there was a teenage girl who came up and told me a terrifying story hmm. of not of a demon, but just of a spirit that was in her room that she that would not leave. And she was close to tears mm. in telling me this story. Yeah. And I had no, nothing to tell her. I mean, I'm not an exorcist. I'm not a right. ghostbuster. Right, right. But my point of it was... And you're certainly not a priest. The, yes. The point was she... Obvious, she definitely believed right. this. Right. And 
it fell into the person she knew who the person was. It was a, a relative that she felt had some sort of a message that had to be given. So it fell within the parameters of one of the reasons why ghosts would return. Um, so when I started hearing enough stories, by yep. the way, the, the, uh, the, the wife at the counseling, uh, she said, I said, well, what have you done with it? And she said, well, I was afraid to break it in case my grandmother's spirit is trapped in yeah. it somehow. Right. She said, I certainly wasn't going to sell it because I'm not going to sell my grandmother. Right. She said, so we boarded it up and put it in storage. Wow. Till we decide what, but we are it's too like, freaked out to let it happen. It's hang. like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Put, yeah. put it in the warehouse. That's right. Uh, so, well, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I love... What most people do, both physically, in her case, and mentally, yeah. in the case of the other person, they just try to put it away and not ever address... Well, don't, don't we do a lot... Don't we do that, though, with... I mean, we could go all religious uh, now, too. We could talk about tradition. We could talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and so on. I mean, isn't that what a lot of us do with anything supernatural you know david hume said in the dialogues concerning natural religion a couple hundred years ago any metaphysical question you should just commit it to the flames get rid of it it's useless it's meaningless right because we can't because he was an empiricist we can't prove anything about it tom so why would we waste our time but i think what i'm hearing from you is hang on a second here i can't argue with these people's stories i can't argue i can argue with the story i can't argue with their belief mm. in the story. Mm -hmm. I could say, I, if I were the skeptic, yep. I mean, if I was the skeptic to them, I would say, well, you know, it's very possible that that's just light refraction. Right. And right. you are uh, putting in your mind that, that it, owned, it was owned by your grandmother and therefore. Or to the girl, well, you're just afraid of the dark when you hear anything. Right. You think, and once you think it once, you will forever think that's what it well, is. Well, then it all becomes about perspective, right, and worldview and right. so on. Yep. Right. But, again, go, going back to James Fraser, the Golden Bow, you know, um, that magic was around before science or religion. That basically magic was used as a... Was a tr was an attempt to understand the world around us mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to how to deal with it. And those who felt there's a physical way to do that on this world became scientists. And those who looked to a higher power creator became went to religion. Went to religion. I had to address in one of my books, um, Haunted Chicago. There are more haunted cemeteries in Chicago than any other major metropolis in the United States. Wow. Okay. Uh, and several haunted churches. Hmm. Uh, and I, so I had to address, and mostly Catholic cemeteries, but not exclusively. So I decided to investigate what do various religions say about ghosts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, do, their, does their, do their tenets, or in the case of the Catholic Church, their catechism, say that they are real or impossible or demonic, or what do they say they are? 
And I was surprised to find that the Catholic Church is actually more liberal than the Protestant and especially the Lutheran aspect of the Protestant Church. Uh, There is nothing in the Catholic Catechism that expressly says you are judged at the time of death. Right. But that doesn't necess- but they don't but it doesn't say that your soul immediately goes to heaven or hell. Right. After all they have purgatory. They have purgatory. For a while they had uh, um, I'm sorry, where did the infants go? Uh the I unbaptized. Can't, I can't uh, answer that question. I don't I'm, know. I'm blocking on the name. But they don't but that's not part of their Bar- is it Barnes and Noble? Um, <laughs> yes, that's where they go. <laughs> right. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if there were enough of them to go to? Yes. Uh, but there's nothing in the catechism that says it is impossible for a spirit to return. Once it's there, it's there. Mm. I thought, but whereas the stricter Protestant denominations say that... Uh, if you see a holy apparition that may be real, in other words, Mary, you know, the weeping statue. Right, sure. Uh, Lords. If, you're, if you see a holy apparition of either Mary, Jesus, or the saints of the Bible, it's possible that that is holy, or it may be Satan trying to trick you. But almost all of the others are not actually ghosts, because the soul is staying in the grave until the time of the rapture. So, I mean, it, it, and every sect within every religion has a different belief in whether ghosts I re- exist. I, I, absolutely. And that in itself is such a complicated issue. Oh, no kidding. I guess so. That, I, that it, it was beyond the scope of any of my books, were, which were basically collections of ghost stories. Well, I remember, I remember being in Cambodia years ago, and it, I do a lot, of, a lot of the development work I do there, and things have come a long way in a, a long time, but I was in some rural communities, and, and somebody, one person said, hey, he's, hey, Dave, why don't you do a couple things for some of the kids? And when somebody else found out about it, they actually said no. I don't want you to do that because of the belief system here in this particular village, and I don't need these people that I'm working with and trying to build community with to have you going away thinking you're some sort of medicine man. Thanks very much. Even well, though let me, you know, I tell you a brief version of my <laughs> that of that happening. Oh, I I bet you've got a few doozies. I was I was performing on a cruise ship and uh, on a seaborne cruise, and they had a guest lecturer from. Indonesia, and we were sailing through the islands, and at one point the captain comes on the loudspeaker and says, we are now passing the island where our celebrity chef was born, Hmm. and it's from the bridge, and he's holding the mic open, and and he says to her, do you want to stop? And you hear, we can't stop, it's not on the itinerary. He says, oh, we have time. She says, but there's nothing to do there. I mean, this is a little island that there's no tourist industry right. at all. It's a tiny island. And the captain said, oh, we stop. <laughs> and they radio over, and um, because they, up on the hills, there was a native village still lived in thatched huts, 
still did hand looming of mm. some, a type of textile called icot, which I'd never heard of. Uh, but there was no way to get up there. I mean, there was no minibuses or anything like that. And Seaborn at that time, you were paying 10000 a week minimum to be on the boat, right. on the ship. These millionaires were hopping in the back of pickup trucks and school buses, going up these dirt roads into the hills, just popping along. It's just the greatest adventure. Right. In order to be allowed on the island, the island shaman had to kill a chicken. Oh, here we go. To check the auspices yep. as to whether it was all right for us to do it. We get up there, and they do some dances for us and greet us, and uh, then the women from the ship, we, they, you know, they start going around to look at the weaving. I didn't care much about that. So I, like most of the men, are just kind of standing around, looking at the people who are still in their ceremonial guard, standing around. And I decided, well, what the heck, there are a lot of kids there. I think I'll do some magic tricks yeah, for them. Yeah. Now, I didn't have any of my Western props yep. with me. Yep. So I reached down. I'm going to do a SpongeBob routine. <laughs> that yep. means something to you. I'm going to do a, a coin trick, let's say. Sure, sure. For the listeners. Shell but instead, I pick a couple of pebbles yep. off the ground, not realizing they were from the ceremonial fire circle. <laughs> and then I do a cut and restored rope with a piece of twine. With somebody's hair, yeah. The, the Chris that I was using <laughs> was one of those sword things I shouldn't be touching. Yeah. And then to top it all, I do a, the torn and restore and Kleenex trick, but instead, I reach up to a tree, pluck off a leaf, crumple it into dust, close my fist, open the leaf is back together, and I reattach it to the branch. Oh, no. Oh, no. Simple sleight of hand yeah. magic stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, afterwards, we're bouncing down the mountainside. And the chef leans over to me and says, it's good we're leaving. <laughs> and I so said, hilarious. why? And she said, the island shaman had heard that there's a competition medicine man on the island. Wow. And he was rushing to challenge you to a magical duel to the death. <laughs> she said, and he knows where all the poisons are. Oh, man, that is a but, great but story. really, with what we do as magicians, in some cultures, they wouldn't know whether to burn us at the stake or electric chain. Well, I think, I think this is part of the reason, I mean, I, I'm not a radical skeptic by any means, but I think it's part of the reason why I'm a bit of one. I think it's part of the reason why I've chosen to go into philosophy. I mean, the whole notion of mystery and wonder also drove me to philosophy. But I think the idea that, hey, you know, people were being thrown down wells and heads were being cut off because they were doing magic tricks six, seven hundred years ago, or maybe not that long ago, actually. Um, and look where we are today. And isn't it kind of all connected in some way, you know, and is, you know, you get into that culture and, you know, let's talk about from a different perspective and let's educate those folks. And they're going to be talking about their shaman in the same way that we were talking about them in a couple hundred years. Do you know, do you know where I'm going with that? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. But the shaman isn't doing it because he thinks he's fooling the people. Right. Um, it, they are part of an animistic culture where they believe the spirits are everywhere around them and within everything. Um, and we look at it as a Westerner and say, oh, come on, it cannot be in that block of wood sitting on the altar you put in your, your hut. 
But then again, we believe a man rose from the dead and mm-hmm. ascended to heaven three days later. Sure. It's a, it's a matter of belief. What do you believe as opposed to what the other person believes? And, it, and in our culture, it's the preacher or the priest that helps us make that interconnection and knowledge of the Lord in the Christian faith. Or the rabbi mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. um, you know in the Hebrew of uh, the Jewish faith, and it's the shaman or the medicine man that helps make that connection in those cultures. I remember. Well, I don't think the magic, the magic to them serves the same purpose as swinging the incense censer right. in a Catholic church. Sure, sure. I mean, so I mean, somebody once said, and I think it was a philosopher. If you, I think it was Jeremy Bentham. He said part of the reason why people believe in ghosts is because they've never actually seen one. Is do do you know where he was going with that statement? I think what he and I I don't know because I'm not familiar with his writings, but I I presume what he's saying is that it's much easier to believe in something until you see it and can rationalize it away. Mm-hmm. Um, people ask me at the end of my talk whether I believe in ghosts, because I'm very careful not yes, to say I have, I've, yeah, I've noticed. one way or the other what I actually believe. But, and, and I hate to give away my, my big ending, but this is, this is what I tell them at the end. Uh, I said, I will only make this connection to UFOs once. but in a sense ghosts are like UFOs in that UFOs are unidentified flying objects they are unidentified they're flying and they're objects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are they flying saucers we don't know do they come from another world and are they filled with little green men we don't know they are by name an unidentified flying object. I said, ghosts, no one has ever come back from the grave that we've been able to 100% for certain know that it is a returned spirit Mm -hmm. to tell us where they're from and what it's like on the other side. But even if you get rid of the hallucinations, the deliberate frauds, the double exposures, the optical illusions, and any other explanation, there are still thousands and thousands of sightings and experiences. We don't know what to call them because we don't know what they are mm-hmm. precisely. So in the meantime, let's just agree to call them ghosts. And now we can further investigate those things and as more information comes to light, we might be able to say, well, this is that, or this is that. I mean, there are many different theories as to what ghosts are. I mean, many people believe there are, even ghost people, many of them believe there are not, they are not souls returning from the grave, right. or from, from beyond, uh, that they are residual spirits that they, a person's essence or spirit has been ingrained right. or imprinted on the place while they were alive, and we're entering basically a film loop. Uh, 
to see that experience. Speaking of film, so I, I was actually going to go down another story that I from from a backyard sort of uh, party uh, that went redacted to about three of us: a philosopher, a theologian, and a, uh, another performer drinking port and slowly probably having too much to drink, talking about ghosts and the supernatural and the metaphysical, me walking upstairs and having something fall in the room and actually getting goosebumps and a shiver. And then I kind of laughed and went, okay, so clearly that was all about perspective. Because, you know, I'd come in from outside, here we are in the middle of this um, conversation about about the metaphysical, the supernatural, ghosts, etc. Something falls, I didn't do it, gee, who's in my house, Right. And that, I mean, that's where I go. So I, of course, come back down and... Sorry. And, or... Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, I do a line at the beginning of my talk where I say, um, now, I'm not going to guarantee that anything is going to happen tonight. <laughs> You're going to be visited by anyone from the other world. <laughs> but it has been my experience that when enough like-minded people get in a room and want something to happen, things happen. Think, things happen, yeah. So and why did... Do, that's do, not explaining what that right. thing is, but they, as you just said, prime themselves for belief. Sure, yeah. Do people, do people want to be scared? I mean, it's, I mean, we've seen this sort of resurgence of, I think, resurgence anyway, of horror films, I'd say, in the last 15 or 20 years. I mean, maybe it's longer. I think that's different. I think that's different from wanting to be believed in ghosts. Mm. I think the horror, uh, the, the, the new interest in horror, oh, boy, is this an entire different talk. I think it's, it's coupled with the deadening of society to each other and relying on electronic instruments. Interesting. So, so it's about relationship, basically, I or think lack it's, thereof. It's it's to stimulate us to remind us that we're still alive. Mm. I mean, because you're never more aware of your mortality when you, than when you think you're going to die. Right. Uh, and I think that that's what the horror thing is about. Hmm. I think that the interest in ghosts, specifically, has more because you notice most the ghosts in horror films are never nice ghosts. They're always demon spirits that are right. going to eat you. I mean, right. There's a couple nice ones in Ghostbusters, isn't there? Yeah. You know, I think there may have been one. One. I think I just really did. I think myself. even the Marshmallow Man was going to stop. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, he was a nice guy up until a certain point. Yeah. Up until a certain yeah. point. When he yeah. Ray, what have you done? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm it's one of the few... To see what the reboot going to be like. Oh, no kidding. It's one of the few few movies that a, f- a friend and I quote back and forth at least two oh, or three really? times a week. Oh, yeah. it's Yes, yes, it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> I, I think the belief in ghosts is uh, I think we are in a time in general hmm. that people are looking for spiritual or any kind of meaning in their lives. Mm. And part of that is survival after death. And if it, if ghosts were proven to be real and that those are not independent spirits from the human species, but actually are humans returned from the beyond, regardless of where they're coming from, 
it would be proof that at least some people survive after death. So, so therefore, there is a beyond of some kind. It's a quest for immortality and a want to believe that we, proof that we will see beyond and, our own. And Tom, do you think that has to do with actually uh, uh, mortality, or do you think it has to do with, well, if that's true, then that, how is that going to affect the way I live today? Does that make I, sense? I ha- yes. I have not seen it affecting any change <laughs> in how people live. <laughs> well, I mean, but but don't you agree that if, if did, there wasn't... I my act sort of and get off their damn phones. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, exactly. Time is short, you know. So, hey, hang on a second here. I'm moving into the afterlife. Uh, I got some things I got to get done before that, you know. But you'll notice that most, and, and I'm only going to quote other people because I've not done a study myself, but many studies of people who have experience, had a near-death experience have had remarkable changes in their life. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Yeah. that they, are, they don't want to die, but they're okay with it. That they've come to terms with it. That they realize that it's inevitability, but there's going to be something else afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and while there have been all sorts of chemical and scientific explanations of what a near-death experience may be, sure. uh, if, it changes, if, it, if it changes someone from a Hellraiser to a Zen Buddhist, uh, it, may have, it may have had some... May have been good. They almost yeah, died. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I think you know we got to we got to wrap up the interview shortly. But but one of the things that I really you know I've been I've been thinking a lot about lately, even even so much as you know trying to develop a corporate talk around this whole idea of listening. You know, here I am in 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 international development. I'm a supposed philosopher. I mean, you know, it's about dialogue. It's about asking good questions. But for crying out loud, at some point you got to shut your yap and you got to listen. And I love what you said about. You know, I don't ask questions. I don't. I don't slant the the dialogue at all. I just. I want to hear your story, and I want to validate what you have to say. And I think that's profoundly. Um, um, it's affirming, and I think it's. It's. I don't think it's something we do enough. Frankly, never mind. You know, forget about the ghosts. <laughs> I'm just talking about you know relationships as a whole. And then your your story about going into the the village and them killing chickens and you restoring leaves to the trees is wonderful as well. <laughs> you know. Do you remember? Do you remember? Uh, you may have only seen the film or read the book, Witches of Eastwick. Oh yeah, the film film not a not right. the book. Yeah, and one of the three women. The way that Satan trapped her is that he would listen to her. Mm. That no one had ever listened to her and take her Suki. No one had ever taken her seriously before. Wow, no, I no don't one remember had ever that. to her, and he said, "Well, what do you have to say? I'll listen." Right. And just the fact that he would go, "Uh huh," but he actually was interested because yeah. he as. I mean, for the story purposes, he knew how he could lead her once he, she told what her desires were and all that. But, I mean, yes, people... Well, my family is the same way. There are five kids in my family. We, my sister once remarked, you know, when we all get together for, for a family reunion or whatever and sit at the same table, we don't have a conversation. We do five overlapping monologues. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny.
funny. She said, and every so often one of us will hear a word that will say, oh, yeah, that happened to me like the time. Right. And then you go off and tell that story. <laughs> right. Uh, and you kind of glean things from the other people, but it's never uh, a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've got well, I've got a friend. Yeah, same. Who's who, and I'm sure I've talked about this on a podcast before. But who 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 does in fact sit on the edge of his seat, and is waiting for you to shut up. He's really not interested in hearing, or I, well, maybe he's interested in hearing it, but he's sure not listening. And soon as you're finished, it's boom. It's you know, it's his story. It's it's his recent car accident or whatever the heck it is that he's had to go through and and there's just this lack of i guess there's a lack of commiseration i did it right here on purpose i don't wait i just jump in that's right (laughs) well hey but we already established that you just do things for money and that you have no and you have no ethics tom i mean that's pretty clear to me yeah 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 hey listen thanks for joining us on face to face today i think our listeners are going to find it really not only fun and entertaining but i think pretty pretty enlightening as well I'm just on the Amazon page here. I can't believe all the books you've written on ghosts. It's quite remarkable. Tom Ogden, he's got The Idiot's Guide to Magic Tricks, which is wonderful, by the way. He's got a book on the circus. He's a historian. And um, talk about just scratching the surface, Tom. I think we'll have to do part two. At some point. Thanks. uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you.